Hey, this is Brent Jensen, and you're listening to No Sleep Till Sudbury, the show where we talk about the music that makes your skin vibrate. The show is brought to you by Priya Pickups. What you want, what you need, what you love. Check them out at priapickups.com. The show is also brought to you by Storyfora, the writing services and content agency providing people with communication solutions of all sorts. For writing services of any type, go to Storyfora. That's P-H-O-R-A, storyfora.com. Lastly, don't forget to check out Thursday Night Record Club on the Brent Jensen Music YouTube channel. All right, today on No Sleep Till Sudbury, I welcome award-winning multi-platinum music producer, songwriter, musician, and all-around good guy, Rob Wells, to the show. Rob has worked with Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez, Adam Lambert, Cindy Lauper, Corey Hart, and many, many others. And I couldn't be more pleased to have him here today. I know we're going to have a great chat. Here he is, Mr. Rob Wells. Rob Wells, uh, we've never met in person. Never. But I feel like I know you already. Uh, we're, we're a, a deep, rich history that we have within <laughs> the last 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Here you are in my place. So thanks for coming. I appreciate you making the drive. Pleasure. It's a great, great uh, location and uh, a really pretty drive. It just sort of gets me in the nice zen mode being here. It's great. It's perfect prep to to do the show for the first time. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you coming. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Now, I covered a lot of ground in your intro. So you've worked with people like Ariana Grande, Justin Bieber, Selena Gomez. But you, you were born in a relatively small town in this area. Not far from here. So can I ask you to take us through how it is that you came to be a songwriter, a musician, someone who works with some very big stars? Sure. Absolutely. Um, I was so lucky to have been born in a very musical family. Mm. Everyone was playing music. Uh, I'm, I'm one of two brothers. I have an older brother who's also a songwriter and producer, Greg, and uh, my mother taught piano. Um, the piano was always there. We always had a guitar around. Eventually we had a drum set around, like there was just music always, always there. My grandmother played a lot of instruments as well. So, you know, when you're born, you pick up on the language that's being spoken at home. So Mm. for me, it was English, but also the piano was being played constantly, Mm. nonstop. So I always say that my second language is is the piano or or music, (laughs) basically. And uh, I would just hear these melodies, these conversations that were happening on the piano nonstop. And I'd hear the same pieces over and over and over again. And uh, by about the age of, well, whenever I could stand, basically, is when I would walk up to the piano and start mashing all the keys with all 10 fingers on there. Because yeah, yeah. I just thought that's what you do. That's what everybody else here is doing. That's so what I see them doing. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just like going to the piano just felt like a very natural thing. And uh, so about the age of two or three, I was picking up on the melodies and starting to play by ear. Mm. Um, and uh, again, it's just learning the language. So I, I just would listen to the radio. I'd play songs by ear. I grew up in Peterborough listening to CHEX radio. Mm-hmm. And um, occasionally I'd get some Rochester, you know, FM stations coming across the lake, yep. learning all the pop tunes of the day. And it, when I was eight years old, my grade three teacher said, look, Rob, you're, you're playing piano every recess and lunch break and you're playing other people's songs always. Have you ever thought about playing your own song? Wow. And that was kind of like the equivalent of in the wizard of Oz where she opens the door and color is there all of a sudden from this black and white world. I just, I didn't realize that you could write your own songs. I just thought you listen to other people's songs, you learn them, you play them. 
but you're such a young kid still. Yeah, yeah. But at, at, at one point, I actually thought that the world way back in the day was black and white because I, I would see these <laughs> pictures and, and just see these black and white. And then all of a sudden, the scientist came along and invented color to the world. And we have these color pictures. That's just how I thought. Yeah. Crazy. So he challenged me actually to go home over the Christmas break and try to write a song, mm. which I did and spent two weeks coming up with basic chords, basic melody and basic words and came back in January and played it for him. And he was very kind, said, you know, this is lovely. Uh, great. Although it was, you know, my first song. So at the age of eight, you're great. yeah, you're grade three, man. But he then went the extra step and taught it to the class. Oh, and wow. And then the class performed it in April in front of the whole school, in front of teachers, in front of parents, in front of all the students. And at the end, I got a standing ovation. And prior to that, I had wanted to be an astronaut. The minute that that happened, I just thought, I need to do this for the rest of my life. I need to write music for the rest of my life. This is such a, a special moment. I'm getting goosebumps actually right now just, just remembering this story. And that took my breath away a little bit. Yeah, it was pretty crazy. As Michael McCarty said, when I was eight years old, I got my first cut in the music industry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, from that moment on, all my friends were asking me to write songs for them about their dog, about their cottage, about you know, a trip that they were going to take or whatever. And I'd just be writing songs all throughout elementary school and then eventually high school in Peterborough. And uh, I'd be in bands and adding a couple of covers in here and there, or not covers, sorry, a couple of originals. Then I moved to Toronto when I was 18. My dad was a United Church minister and he got a new church up in Toronto. Mm -hmm. And I went from my last year of high school to Etobicoke School of the Arts. And there they had a little tiny music studio and um, a lot of singers, a lot of performing artists that were there. And I was still so deeply into songwriting, but that's where I started to learn production okay. at Etobicoke School of the Arts and started to basically spend every waking hour inside that little room and dropped every single course in grade 13, except for music. Right. Uh, and just learned how to, how to produce songs and how to write songs and how to record people. And then I was told along the way, uh, believe it or not, that if you get into music, that it'll be a tough life. So I believed in all these people and I thought, well, I better find some other form of work to pay the bills mm. and um, went and studied computer animation because it was right around the time when Jurassic Park and Terminator 2 were coming out. And mm -hmm. I loved those, those movies so much and I loved the visual effects and just thought, well, maybe I can do that as a living. So I went to school, did that for seven years, but the entire time that I was animating and at the computer, I was wearing headphones and listening to music and listening to everything, every corner of the world, every age of music, every style of music. I was just really just like getting this, this education, this great musical education as I'm animating, as I'm doing stuff on the screen. And I would go home every night and songwrite. And every weekend I would songwrite. And from the money that I was making from the animation gig, it was a great high paying job. I would pour into buying a computer, buying a keyboard, buying a drum machine, mm -hmm. buying all this, this stuff to, to put together my little home studio and writing songs completely on my own and wondering how am I ever going to get heard? How am I ever going to get noticed? You know, there's, there's no way to network. I'm, I'm in this animation industry and I'm, I'm doing all this stuff. Yeah. And then one night my dad was reading the paper and, uh, he said, uh, there's something in here uh, at SOCAN, Canada's performing rights organization. He said, uh, they're, they're having a special night all about songwriting and songwriters. And you're a songwriter. Maybe you'd like to go and attend that. And I just thought that sounds 
cool. You know, maybe I'll, I'll go and see if they can give me some information, some pointers as to, as to where to go and what to do. And I went in there and, and uh, there was a group of us, about 40 people that were in this, this little seminar at SOCAN. And at the beginning they said, put your hands up if you're a songwriter. And we all put up our hands. And I just thought, my God, I found my people. They're all here. Mm. And at the break, they said, mingle and meet as many people as you can and try and get phone numbers, try and get email addresses, try and get contact information. Because yep. we're going to talk to you next about the idea of co-writing. Oh, And that idea was just like completely foreign to me. Why would I want to write a song with somebody else? Mm. But I got as many names, numbers, email addresses as I could and started to organize co-writes with people. And the minute that I started co-writing is the minute that everything changed in my career. Oh, Because now I'm writing with other people. I'm writing better songs than I've ever written. Turns out I'm not the best lyricist in the world. So when I bring a lyricist in, that is somebody that really specializes at great lyrics, and I've got the musical side covered, then the world is ours. There's nothing stopping us. Sure. And you're now starting to network with tons of people. And you're starting to meet all sorts of people in, in different genres and different areas of the music world. And they're leaving the sessions saying, hey, I just had a great session with this guy, Rob. You got to work with him. And, and I was saying the same thing to other people. I just worked with this person. You got to work with them. And it just ended up just really bubbling up really, really fast uh, to the point that I got invited to a writing camp at Metalworks in 2001. Mm. And it was for uh, a TV show called Pop Stars on global television. We were writing songs for that show. And I spent six days, wrote two songs a day, met tons of great songwriters. Erica M. was there as, as nice. a songwriter, and I'd been watching her on Much Music all the time. And just really, really cool stuff. And uh, anyways, didn't get any songs on that project, but had a blast at the writing camp. Two years passed, and I'm still doing animation. And I get a phone call from Mike James out of Vancouver. And he said, Rob, do you remember that song that we wrote at that writing camp? day two in the afternoon. Like, yep. And he said, uh, we'd like to release it with, with somebody else. Mm. Are you okay with that? And I said, please, I would love it. It would be my first release of anything. So they released it. Uh, Chum FM picked it up and it went top 10 in Canada. You don't get rich off of a top 10 single in Canada. I thought you did. I thought I was going to be a millionaire. <laughs> so the very next week I quit my animation job. Oh no. Just had my first baby just bought my first house and i said i gotta put all my eggs into this one basket oh i no. have to it actually turned out well okay uh because that was the same year that canadian idol started up ah. and from me working on that one song mm -hmm. writing that song that was my calling card to get into the canadian idol workshop and start working with the winner of canadian idol which was ryan malcolm 2003 i got two songs on that record bmg hired me to produce one of them and that was my first major label release. Um, the next year, I worked with Kaylin Porter with Canadian Idol. I did about half the record. The third year, Melissa O'Neill won, and I wrote the winner single, which is when they win and they walk out and they sing right. this song. And I co-wrote it with two people in Los Angeles. My brother brought me down to LA to, to meet a whole bunch of people to write with. And I wrote with Jess Cates and Lindy Robbins. We wrote the song called Alive. And they were in very tight with Jive Records, where Backstreet Boys and Britney Spears mm -hmm. and all these people were. Teresa LaBarbera Whites called me. She was the person who discovered Destiny's Child, uh, Jessica Simpson, all sorts of people. And she said, we love this song Alive. We think it could work really well with Nick Lachey from 98 Degrees. Oh. Can we fly you down to New York and work with Nick? And I'd never been to New York City. <laughs> I'm now going down. This is now my first US artist. 
Uh, I was so excited. Got to meet Nick. We're still really, really good friends. Right. Uh, I got three songs on his record. Two of them became singles. I, they then flew me back down again to work with Backstreet Boys. Wow. And I, in my animation job, I was listening to Backstreet Boys all the time and just loving the Max Martin productions. And, and uh, here I am working with Backstreet Boys in LA. Just craziness. Uh, anyways, um, things are now starting to really exponentially climb. Right. Uh, I get to meet Paloma Faith, in, in, who's out of England, start working with her, with Jody Marr in Florida producing her record, writing for her record. All sorts of different artists, Selena Gomez starts happening. I, I end up producing Selena Gomez's first uh, song that she ever recorded for Hollywood Records. Oh, wow. And that was a song I co-wrote with Shelley Pikin on one of my LA trips. Then came back to Canada and I'm you know starting to become sort of a, a bigger fish in the smaller pond up here. So Sean Marino at Universal rings me up and says, there's this kid from Stratford who's 13 years old and uh, we're wondering if you have any interest in producing a song for him. And I met 13-year-old Justin, Justin Bieber, Bieber. Wow. and uh, literally had no idea who he was. And then a month later, he was selling out Madison Square Gardens. It was crazy. <laughs> and then that just opened me up to so many other things. And it's just been, it's been a crazy whirlwind ever since. Every day is awesome. I love my life so much. Um, I, I get surprises all the time. Just last year, I got a cut with Weezer, uh, oh. which was like so much fun. I'm a huge Weezer fan. And yeah. Just getting to work with my heroes and and meet new people that are just getting started in the music business it's it's uh, it's fantastic. I I look at my career as most things really in life a popcorn analogy if I can if I can give you that please. It's basically if you're hungry and you want to eat and you and you like popcorn, you've got all these popcorn kernels that are on the stove and they're unpopped, but the heat is turned on, and you really want to eat this 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 popcorn. You got to keep that heat turned on. You can't give up on the heat. You can't give up on the fact that eventually things will pop. But you're staring at it. You're really hungry and five minutes has gone by and nothing has happened. But eventually with that heat turned on, one thing pops. One out of a thousand potential kernels popping. It's great that that started, but you're still so hungry. You can't turn the heat off. Keep it on. And eventually two go off and then three and then five and then 10 and then 20. And it's exponentially growing to the point where you need help. You need somebody else to help you catch all the popcorn kernels before they hit the ground. Um, and that's that's really the secret to so many things in life is to just keep the heat turned on on whatever it is that you love, on whatever it is that your target is. Just keep the heat turned on and eventually something will happen. It has to happen. And be patient. As, yeah, yeah, yeah. As long as you're constantly developing your skills, you know, your personality, your your networking abilities, all that stuff, your, your talent, your drive, your personality all those things, you got to keep that heat turned on as well. And eventually things will just happen where you can be at the right place at the right time, multiple times, hopefully. Wow. I'm so glad that I asked you that question. Sorry, very long answer. <laughs> no, it was an amazing answer. That's I'm, I'm inspired by you. This is crazy. Cool. All right. Well, I'm inspired by you. I'm thrilled to be here on this podcast. I listen to it all the time. It's a great podcast. You do a fantastic job. And, and thank you. The, the the amount of information that I get from sitting back and listening to your podcast is is incredible. Thank you very much. That absolutely. means a lot coming from you. No, thank you. I appreciate everything you do so much. Thank it's you. an absolute honor and pleasure to be sitting here to be part of the podcast is a, is a real trip for me. First of many. Yep. Down. So, so now you also developed, you're working on some interesting things now too. So you um, started working on an app. Yes. As, as I understand. So yeah. Yeah. Well, um, I've always been interested in technology. Mm -hmm. 
the computer has always been my friend ever since about the age of eight. Same teacher brought in the pet computer into class it was before the Commodore 64. And, and uh, we just loved the pet computer. It was, I just thought this is cool. I can actually like create artwork on this, on this thing. So I've always been interested in, in the tech side of things. I don't know how to program at mm. all. I know how to do visual arts. I know how to do the, 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 the artistic side of things. So it's always been a desire of mine to, to make some apps to be part of the app building community. I just didn't know anybody to partner up with to do the the technical side of things. So I'd had a lot of people throughout my time as a songwriter, a lot of people that would always say to me, you know, Rob, I can't play an instrument, but boy, boy, if I could play piano like you, mm. the songs I could write would be amazing. And so I just thought, well, maybe there's a way that I can create an app where it is the way that I play piano, the way that I play chords, uh, the voicings that I would use. It, maybe there's a way that I can create something so that a top liner, somebody who just comes up with melody and lyrics, that they could sit down with this app and be able to play very simple buttons and sound great right away. So that was my idea. I came home and told my wife about it. And uh, I just thought, if only I could find somebody to, to program this thing. Mm -hmm. She said, you're an idiot. You know that I have my niece's husband does this in his sleep, basically. And uh, I just thought, oh my God, you're absolutely right. So I, I rang him up and said, you know, Doug, are you interested in doing anything like this? And he said, you won't believe it. I literally just told my wife today that I'd like to spend an hour a day working on an app. I just don't know what to do. No, I don't way. know which app to do first. And so we joined forces last summer, started working on the songwriter's piano, and it came out last December and uh, became the number two app on the uh, music uh, app chart uh, for worldwide on the... Uh, worldwide yeah that's amazing yeah it's pretty cool it turns out that there's an, a need for it and uh, we had all sorts of people that were creating videos of themselves uh, playing the app and coming up with songs and i know multiple people that that use it all the time i use it all the time if i'm <laughs> on a bus or on a go train or, or plane or somewhere where i don't want to lug my keyboard around everywhere i just whip out the app and, and i'm good to go and there's new versions of the app coming out where you can put your lyrics in where you can make recordings of your moves and, and, and all that. There's going to be an upright piano version. There's going to be all sorts of uh, different things coming with that. So that's yeah. amazing. Congratulations. Thank man. you. Thank that's you. So cool. Thank you. It's, wow. it's, you know, being of service to people is I think a good thing when, when you uh, can hear enough people that enough people are telling you that, that they have a need for something. If you can fill that need, if you can create something that helps them out, mm -hmm. I think that that's always the, the, this, the key that's the secret to success much like with my songwriting is that i i want to be a source of positivity with my songwriting as i said my dad was a was a minister and uh i would go to church every sunday and i would hear him speak give these sermons and i would see how it would change people how it would help them how it would make them feel better about life or make them see the world in a different way so that they could go out into the world for the next week and maybe treat their neighbor a little kinder, you know? And I just thought that's a great thing. And I feel like my songs are kind of like that. Not that they're religious songs, but they're of service to people, that they're helping people out, that they're letting people know that they're not alone in their struggles, that, that they're being told that there will be a better day, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. That's, that's really my aim to, to, uh, to shoot for when, when I'm, when I'm creating content, when I'm creating stuff, just how can I be of service to people in, in me w delivering messages that I really truly believe in and hopefully helping people out in their, in their day or in their life.
That's extraordinary, Rob. It truly is. Cool. Thank yeah. you. I admire that quite a lot. May we all be like that. May we all help each other out. That's it, right? Right. And, and uh, these are things that you aspire to do. These are the, the outlooks that we should all have. A hundred years from now, nobody will remember what car you drove, what clothes you wore, the house you had, the songs I wrote, all that stuff. But they will remember how you made them feel. Mm-hmm. The messages, the, 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 the good vibes that you passed along to help somebody else out. That's what it's all about. That's how we become better as a species. That's, that's how we survive. It's not about greed. It's about how can I help other people always. Amazing. Amazing. See, I knew you were a good guy, but I didn't know that you were this good of a guy. <laughs> it was so great. I've got my moments of, uh, of the opposite, <laughs> let me tell you. That'll be for the next episode. That's right. That's right. I'm not so good of a guy when I stub my toe. That's, uh... <laughs> Who is, really? That's right. Even my dad, when he would, yeah, I remember hearing him yell out the F-bomb when uh, when he hit his uh, thumb uh, with a, with a with hammer. hammer. Yeah, yeah, it was oh, good. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. Well, that happens around here a fair bit, too. Of course. So don't worry about that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you have brought some great songs here, my friend. Boy, was that ever hard to choose? It's impossible. We talked about that, but you can't, you can't just have five as, you know, a music fan in, in any capacity, really in any serious capacity. You can't. No, but what I did when, when you presented me this challenge is I just thought, what are five songs that still hit me as hard as the first time that I heard them Mm -hmm. that make me feel like I'm listening to it again for the first time? Mm. You know, that's what these five songs are for sure. I like that criterion. Good. Let's jump in, shall we? Let's do it. These are good. I'm going to talk about these. So the first one is Sam Cooke, What a Wonderful World. Now, not to be confused with What a Wonderful World by Louis Armstrong. That's right. So this is a little bit different. It's more up-tempo. Don't know much about history. That's right. So tell me about this. What a great song. Oh, yeah. What What a great song. My parents really tried to keep me very musically safe when I was a kid. Oh. There was a lot of... 60s folk music that was being played in the house okay the kingston trio and yeah. the mills brothers and things like that not that there's anything wrong with this but kind of like the coolest that my dad ever got was roger whitaker listening <laughs> to stuff like that and the whistling that. solos of roger whitaker that, that my brother so and i would would be rolling our eyes on long car trips and the eight track would be playing roger whitaker and we'd just be saying somebody kill me now i remember him the big beard and glasses oh and yeah the hat all that's the right yeah. that's right so my mom foolishly brought home a cassette tape from the Peterborough Public Library, and it was the greatest hits of Motown. Mm. And she thought, maybe young Robbie will like to listen to this music. And she didn't know what she was getting into the minute that I turned it on and Jackson 5 was on there, and then Stevie Wonder, and then Marvin Gaye and Diana Ross. I was like, what is this? I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Yeah. And it was the first moment in my life where I just thought, this music speaks to me. This music is incredible. The, the songwriting is on point. The musical performances are ridiculous. The, the musicality of the, 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 the instruments and the parts, the hooks, the dynamics, the emotions that I would feel in all this, you know, it's all great. However, from that style of music, I would have to say that Sam Cooke never, ever disappoints. Just incredible songwriting, incredible performances. And this song in particular, I was never a great, great student. 
Mm. I was never a a straight A student because I loved the arts so much. That Mm -hmm. was really my world. And I would just do anything to be in the arts. And I I would pull the piano out in my auditorium in high school and play to an empty auditorium. I would skip classes just to do that. And so I heard the lyrics to this song and where it says, don't know much about history, don't know much biology, don't remember, you know, the French I took and all, all this stuff. And that was me. And then when I heard, but I do know that I love you. And I do know if you love me too, what a wonderful world this will be. And to me, that was music. I do love music so much. And, and, and I, it just was my story, you know, me telling everybody, I know I can do something with this because I love it so much and I'm going to pour everything that I can into this. You, yeah, there's the relationship side to the song as well, but it's just like, uh, just what a great song about following your dream, you know, and just totally. Yeah. Yeah. This is your love letter to music. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But you can't, you can't go wrong with any Sam cook at all. Oh God. No change is going to come. Incredible. All of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, well done. Great pick. Cool. And great story. And again, I can listen to that song fresh every time. You know, a lot of that music around my face is timeless, isn't it? Yeah. Those really great, great songs. Oh, yeah. And I know exactly what you mean because I'll move this chair over so that the speakers surround me and I'll just take time, right? I'll pour a glass of bourbon and turn the lights down and, you know, it's it's Sam Cooke and it's the really good stuff. Mm -hmm. And you can lose yourself in that, Mm -hmm. truly. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I also love the length of these songs too, the Sam Cooke songs. They're not three and a half minutes. They're like two minutes or two and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. They say what they need to say and then they get out. Yeah. And it's, it's, you don't feel like the song is bloated. You don't feel like it's too short. It's just, just perfect. Right. Just the perfect length. Yeah. There's all kinds of schools. I, I don't know exactly where I stand on that, but I do. And I pay a lot of attention to that in terms of, you know, the, the 305, right? Billy Joel referenced that in one of his songs, the entertainer, I think it is, you know, it's gotta be, if it can't be a hit, if it's any longer than 305. Right. Right. But then the, you know, the Beatles kind of suffered under that mantra until they said, you know what? Hey Jude, we can do whatever we want. Yeah. You know, and they, you know, the song was like eight or 12 minutes long, whatever. And they could do it because they were the Beatles. So there, there was all kinds of ways that you could land this. Oh, I'm definitely a believer in that you serve the song. Yeah. You definitely serve the song. I, you don't care ever about the length. Yeah. But I do believe in that if the song needs to be short, that it's short. Oh, if yeah. the song needs to be long, it's long. You have to serve the song. And, and I always think if you've got a longer song and you want to release it to radio, you can always do a radio edit of that song. Totally. Easily. A, a perfect example in my mind that just came to me, Needle and the Damage Done. Mm. Exactly two minutes long. It cannot be any longer. Like, it, it's perfect, right? It's And, and I, when I first heard that song when I was a kid, I played it over and over. And I, that's how I know it's 200, because I just kept rewinding it on the cassette. But it was perfect. I didn't want it to be any longer. Yeah. And that's two minutes. It's not a long song. Yeah. But Too much of one thing can be a bad thing. You know, like, like it's just, if it goes on too long, then would you want to rewind it again and listen to it again? Well, you know, as well as I do, there's, you know, there's middle eights and interludes and songs that are not necessary. They don't have to be in there. Yeah. Right? And you almost think like, ugh, I wish that wasn't in there. If I could somehow, you know, remove that, mm-hmm. it would be a better song. When I'm creating songs, when I'm writing songs, when I'm producing songs, I always imagine this imaginary finger that is the listener's finger mm. and it's traveling towards the skip button 
<laughs> and so I'm always thinking, what can I do to reset the position of that finger back to its starting point again so that it won't get closer to the skip button? That's fascinating. But the minute that it gets reset, <laughs> it's, it's moving towards the skip button. And I better do something to bring that, that's, that, that finger back. That is so cool. Yeah. You actually think that. Oh, yeah. Wow. There's other people that think, as they're listening back to their song, if I were to play this for an A&R right now, what would be the reason that this A&R would say no to this song? Right. That they're constantly thinking that. Yeah. Rather than playing it for the A&R and then thinking, oh my God, the intro is way too long. Mm. Maybe that second verse doesn't need to be the length it's at. You know, rather, think about those things first before you go in to play it for the oh, A&R. You know what? You, you and I could talk for a week about this. <laughs> I feel sorry for the listeners because they're like, move it along, you guys. But I, this stuff consumes me. Here's an example. I was sitting in in the chair as I was just describing. I was listening to a band called Streetheart, if you know Streetheart. Yeah. First record, right? Uh, meanwhile, back in Paris. The first song is Action. So there's this like keyboard intro, right? Shimmering thing that goes on for 30 seconds. And I know that because I looked. Because I thought, first record, first song, why would you have this thing that's basically one note for 30 seconds? That takes a lot of guts. Because people would hear that after 15 seconds and go, nope, done, right? Mm -hmm. And that could be their career. So I think about these things all the time. What's too long? What's too short? What's, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's always on my mind when I listen to music. It's funny. Mm -hmm. And yet one of my favorite songs that's not on this list is uh, Take the Long Way Home, mm. Super Tramp. Mm -hmm. And that string line that opens the thing before the piano kicks in. Yeah. Is easily 20 seconds long, just slowly building, building, building. It's the tension that you feel. That's the difference. Right. Rob, if there's a, there's a, an ascension. Yeah. Right. That's the difference. Cause it's anticipative and you're like, Oh, what's going to happen? What's mm -hmm. going to happen? Mm -hmm. You know, the example that I gave you is just that this thing is a block of 30. Like it, it's, there's nothing happening. And you're like, is this, is the tape stuck? Like what's going on? Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? But yeah. Anyway, music geekery. Right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we could get lost in this for hours. Oh, dude, we will. Trust me. All right. It's going to happen. Okay, I'm down. <laughs> this will be a 10-parter. <laughs> it might be. <laughs> the, your next song is The Righteous Brothers, Unchained Melody. Yes. Like one of the greatest love songs. Yeah, ever. I apologize to the listener of this podcast right now that I didn't choose you know, songs that nobody knows. Everybody <laughs> knows this song. But again, the first time that I heard this song was when the movie Ghost was mm. coming out mm -hmm. and they re-released that that single to radio. And I was driving, this is uh, one of the first times that I ever drove to Toronto from Peterborough. Mm -hmm. So on my own, driving on the 115 highway and listening to CAGX radio. Mm -hmm. And they said, up next is the Righteous Brothers Unchained Melody. And I'm like, what's that? And by the time that the song was over, I was on the side of the road I had to stop the car. I was bawling mm -hmm. my eyes out at the beauty of the song and the message and the, the loneliness and the, the, oh, the emotional impact of that song and just the build and how it starts from nothing to the most epic of conclusions at the end and the string arrangement that's on there. And the, the, I could go on and on. Yeah. But just one of those things where I just was hit so hard by that song and still to this day as I tell the story again, I'm getting goosebumps. Mm -hmm. um, the power of music, holy smokes. Right. Where it can change your emotional state right away, 
where it can make you see the world in a, in a, in a different way. That's the benchmark. That's the benchmark. And I know that song has been out for so many years and I know everybody knows it, but man, it's still, there's a reason why it is so popular. That's why. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. They, they really just, everything came together so well on that record. That crescendo with that big note at the end is just like, so, you know, people throw the word epic around a lot. That's epic. Yeah. Oh yeah. The, the, the choices of notes in that string arrangement at the end, mm -hmm. it's just pure perfection, pure perfection. That's something that I try to add in a lot of my productions it is a string arrangement. Yeah. And it's because of songs like this. Oh yeah. That, that I just think that having some sort of secondary melody that's over top of the, the main melody that the singer is performing mm -hmm. is a really important thing to do. It just adds that extra bit of, of oomph to the yeah. song. This song went to number one, four separate times. Did you know that? I did not. It did. But I'm not surprised. Isn't that crazy? That's amazing. Four separate times. Wow. Yeah. Unbelievable. Wow. That's incredible. It's it's one of those songs. Though. How many songs can say that? Right. Right. I can't think of a, a, of any others off the top of my head. It, it, but it's one of those songs. And you know, right? As soon as you hear it, mm -hmm. timeless. Oh, yeah. Okay. Here's another good one. Bruce Springsteen, Chasing Wild Horses. Yep. Yeah, this is this is from Western Stars. I think, from right? Western Stars. Yep. Uh, one of Bruce's, I guess, his second last record, or maybe a third, third last record. Nineteen or eighteen. Yep. Yeah, right around there. So Bruce Springsteen. Uh, my introduction to Bruce Springsteen. My parents took me to the exhibition when I was a kid. Mm. I guess I would have been about twelve, and the Born in the USA tour was that night at the exhibition. I didn't have tickets, however. I found out that if you stand on the ramp to the food building, there's a tiny little sliver of the stage that you can see oh. from very, very far away, but you can get the sound and you can see a tiny little bit of the stage. So I stood there and watched the entire concert, just basically like, <laughs> like five feet of stage. And occasionally Bruce would be visible that I could see him in there. And I heard the whole thing and, and fell in love with Bruce Springsteen that night. Wow. Um, not him, the person, but, but just uh, his, his music. I couldn't believe how he could command the audience for that long. It was about a three and a half hour long show that he did. And the songs just really hit me. I knew some of the songs from the born in the USA record cause they were playing on the radio, mm -hmm. but I just thought here's somebody that I need to pay attention to for the rest of my life. And I did a deep dive into all things Bruce Springsteen. Mm. Believe it or not, that's the only time that I've ever seen him live. Oh, um, really? I've never seen him live other than this little tiny sliver at the Canadian national exhibition, but I've just loved everything that he does. And I love his simplicity with his chord structures mm -hmm. that they're always three or four chords, max, maybe the odd one that goes a little bit outside of that. His melodies are very repetitive, but his lyrics are so incredible. And, and I'm so thankful that the chordal structure and the melody is so simple because it lets you focus on the lyric. Right. It lets you really just like laser focus, get into that lyric and really get it. So when this Western stars record came out, I don't know where I was. I think I was on a bike ride and I was listening to it on Apple music. And, and, uh, again, I had to stop the bike numerous times. There's so many songs that are on that record, um, that are just incredible. Moonlight Motel is another one that's on there, but but this one, Chasing Wild Horses, what an emotional roller coaster it is. It's just so good. Yeah. I can't tell you 
how good it is. You just need to go and listen to it. And, and if you can read the lyric while you're listening to it, it will just hit you like a ton of bricks. Yeah. Even if you haven't lived that life of what he's talking about, even if you haven't experienced those things that he's talking about, you will feel like you've done both those things. Right. After you've heard this song, you will feel like you've lived this life that you, for three and a half minutes, you will be taken away on the most beautiful, lonely journey that by the end of it, you'll wake up and you'll say, oh, I'm actually sitting here in this chair. I wasn't living this other life for the past three and a half minutes. And what an incredible talent that is. Yeah. Really, right? All of his songs. Oh, God, yeah. All of his songs. I can't complain about any one of them. No. So evocative in that way. Yeah. That you feel like you're right there with them. Oh, yeah. 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 Th this, th there's, there's a, an earnest aspect about this that kind of twists me up too, like the really good Springsteen songs. You know, when I, I think about this song, I think about Philadelphia. It's just the, I don't know if it's the delivery or, or, but it just gets you, you know, you want to really up the ante on Philadelphia, go watch the music video. They actually, they used the, the backing track for Philadelphia, mm. but they recorded his live vocal for the video. No way. So as he's walking, walking along the, the streets, it's his live vocal. Are you kidding me? Yeah. I've seen it. It's great. Go back and listen to it. It's his live vocal. It's not the studio vocal. No way. Yeah. And it just adds that extra layer of emotion to that song. I bawled like a baby in Philadelphia to the point where I was still crying in the seats by the time the next showing was already started. I could totally see that. Yeah. And it was the power of his his track. Also, the, right. the Neil Young song at the end of Philadelphia as oh, well is, is really something else. But uh, but that Philadelphia track. And again, so simple. One single, one bar looping drum beat from a drum machine mm -hmm. and a pad, a string pad that's playing just yep. like three or four chords, but the lyric just gets you. And the vocal melody too. Like just the, the way that he delivers it, you know, it's almost like he kind of like there's this, it's, it's not a desperation, but it's like a, oh man, I don't even know what it is, but it just gets you. Oh, it's, it's also so simple. You mm -hmm. know, you can sing that melody after the first minute of listening to that song. Anybody can sing the melody because it's the equivalent of hearing a nursery rhyme. It's the equivalent of hearing Mary had a little lamb mm -hmm. or twinkle, twinkle, little star. It's so repetitive and it just works. It's not in a range where people, most people can't sing. It's in a range that's very accessible to all people. So it just really speaks to everybody. You just really get it. It's, it's the same way that I, I tell people that, you know, um, I love learning about astrophysics as mm. well. I love astrophysics, but you can go really deep into the math of astrophysics and be lost in like all the technical aspects. Or you can listen to somebody like Neil deGrasse Tyson, totally, who completely gives it to you in an easily digestible fashion, where by the end of your lesson with Neil deGrasse Tyson, you have been enriched and you've been educated to the point where you just, you now know all about the inner workings of a black hole, for example, but it's been explained to you in such an easily digestible way. You know, like, I feel like that's the same way with, with, with Bruce, like just the accessibility of those melodies that it is so simply put to you. And the chord structure is so simply put to you that you don't realize that you're receiving the genius of his lyric behind the scenes of it all, that by the end of it, you just feel like, my God, I've just learned the, the equivalent of, of the inner workings of a black hole by listening to a Bruce Springsteen song. Yeah, that's a great metaphor. But also, I th you know, in, in kind of thinking about what you're saying, I think that's at the core of, of the ethos of what Bruce Springsteen is to us. Yes. Right? Yeah. And that's the real genius. Yeah, the human condition that he writes about. Right. In a different way that you've never thought about life that way. 
Mm-hmm. You know, he really taps into all that with his lyrics. It's just, it's, he's a genius, an absolute genius. Yeah. So hard to pick one Bruce Springsteen song, but that's, that's the one I'm going to pick right there. Well, I was going to say you picked that one. I mean, think of it as his entire early catalog. I know. Right. I Jungle know. Land, like all the great, great, great tunes. I know. That just speaks to how brilliant he is. Oh yeah. And yeah. he's still killing it. Oh God. Yeah. Still killing it. Yeah. No tracks, no backing tracks. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, it's the real deal. Oh, yeah. The boss. Yeah. Absolutely. Great pick. Uh, This is one I don't know, Rob. This is Ingrid Andrus and More Hearts Than Mine. Please get to know this song. I will. I was, uh, twice a year, I I empty my garage and uh, put all the contents on the driveway, sweep out the garage, clean it up, and, and get it all nice for the spring, reorganize things before the kids get their hands in there and start, you know, destroying the the organization of it all. Yeah. Um, and then I do the same thing in the fall. You know, I, I get it ready so that I can park my car in there and, and avoid having to clean the ice off in the, mm, in the winter and things like that. So anyways, I'm doing one of these spring cleans. I throw... Apple Music on on my phone and uh, listening to the the greatest country hits is 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 what I'm tapped into at this point. I never, when I was a kid, I never was into country that much, until I had to drive from Toronto to Montreal one mm. time, and um, I had to listen to radio stations the whole way. And and as soon as you leave Toronto, as soon as you leave a major center you leave all the pop stations behind right? and suddenly it's country music stations everywhere. <laughs> so everything from Oshawa to Cornwall was country music. Yeah. And I just thought, well, this is going to be a, an interesting drive. This is before I could listen to podcasts and things like that. So I throw on the country music stations and I, I'm fully expecting that I'm going to hate everything that I hear, but nine songs out of 10 blew me away to oh. the point where I just couldn't believe the writing and I couldn't believe the choruses and I couldn't believe the payoffs that were happening. Wow. How just, how well constructed these these country songs were and then you get the odd one that was talking about drinking beer and your pickup truck and i'm you know whatever i don't need those but i just fell in love with country on this trip i was forced to listen to it for five hours and by the end i was a huge fan huge huge fan so i do go and listen to country a lot now i love it Um, i love all styles of music everything so I'm listening to the greatest hits of country and I'm cleaning stuff in the garage and I'm holding something really heavy. I'm, I'm bringing it over and all of a sudden this song comes on. Ingrid Andrus, More Hearts Than Mine. And again, songs that blow you away. By the end of this song, I didn't realize, but I dropped this really heavy thing on my foot. Oh God. Um, but I didn't feel it. I, I was on one of those journeys. I was wow. on one of those moments where I just was living this life and I was so blown away and so moved by the chorus and it was such a twist in the chorus where i didn't see it coming however it all made perfect sense when it came it's 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 a perfectly written song so good musically lyrically uh just incredible and i did a deep dive then afterwards into all of ingrid andrus's music and it turns out every song is like that but this song is incredible more hearts than mine you better have a box of Kleenex nearby when you listen to this because you'll just be a, a wreck when you listen to it. It's great. It's fantastic. I could not be more intrigued right now. Yeah. <laughs> so good. She has two albums out only, but she's incredible. Where is she uh, from? Uh, she's from the States. Uh, lives in Nashville. I don't think she's from Nashville originally. Uh, just a great musical talent and and a wizard at, at uh, lyrical craft. Okay. On it. I love your last pick. Yes. Anthrax and Public Enemy bring the noise. Yes. <laughs> yes. Where does this come from? Do you know this song? Oh, God, yeah. 
Oh, this was for me. I, I grew up a metal kid. You know, I was into all, I, I knew Anthrax from when I was in like grade nine and 10. I didn't really stick with them, but I knew absolutely who they were. I was a big Metallica fan. And uh, when this came out, I, I kind of feel like uh, Run DMC and Aerosmith kind of gave rise to this, right? Yeah. Just in a, maybe a more extreme fashion because your Aerosmith or, or uh, Anthrax rather was a thrash metal band. Yeah. And Public Enemy was like not gangster rap, but they're a little bit more aggressive. Than, yeah. So yeah, I, I loved it. Well, still do. Yeah. I, as you know, I loved the Motown stuff. I loved things with soul. I loved R and B in Peterborough. I would take the bus downtown and I'd buy a record. I'd buy like Whitney Houston's new record and I'd walk home reading all the credits and reading the lyrics and all that. And my friends would come running out and they'd see me walking down the street say, Oh, you went to the record store. What did you get? And I'd be like, Whitney Houston or Michael Jackson. They'd be like, what? <laughs> Why? Why are you buying that? Why are you? And I'm just like, cause it's great. It's a, I would try to explain to them all the things, Quincy Jones and all this, you know, all the, they just didn't get it. They were so into the hard stuff. Me right. Too. Um, they were into stuff that's equally great, like Zeppelin, The Doors, Iron Maiden, Pink Floyd. Mm. That's the music that pretty much the majority of my friends were listening to. And for some reason, I got into the the whole uh, Detroit sound and, and the American R&B sound and, and all that. But I also love the, the heavy stuff, too. I, I love it all. I love it all. And then, yes, the Run DMC thing came out with Aerosmith, and that was cool. That was a great merging of two different styles, but it felt kind of a little gimmicky, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. When this came out, Anthrax and Public Enemy, I love stuff that pushes the boundaries. Yes. I love stuff that goes next level, big time. I think we're surrounded by everyday normal life. Everybody is surrounded by everyday normal life. Why do we turn towards entertainment? Why do we turn towards movies, music? dances, uh, uh, art galleries, all that, because we want to escape this everyday normal life. We want to feel like we've gone to the next level, to the extraordinary. Mm -hmm. So I feel like music kind of has to deliver that a little bit. And yeah. this song to me is the merging of two different styles coming together. It was the first moment where I could go to my friends and say, look, here's Public Enemy, who I love. Here's Anthrax, who you love, coming together to create something that the world has never heard before. And that was also a really good educational thing for me a lot of the production that I do is what I call hybrid production, mm. where you take a little bit of this style and you take a little bit of this style and you merge them together. Uh -huh. Rather than chasing what's on the charts right now, mm -hmm. if you try to produce, if you try to songwrite what's happening right now, by the time that song gets released, what's happening right now will be long gone. So rather than doing that, take what's happening now or take what you really love and bring in a separate ingredient that's from somewhere else mm. and merge it together to create something that the world has never heard. And when you do this, you'll always be on the cutting edge. You'll always be creating something that is different, something that is cool, something that is innovative rather than following. I tell people all the time, my favorite food is called Hakka Chinese food. Right. And it's basically the Chinese that moved to India and started creating Chinese food for the Indian population. Mm -hmm. So it's Indian spices with Chinese food mixed together. You create something that the world has never tasted before. And it turns out it becomes popular all throughout the world. Do the same thing with your music. Do the same thing. You know, try to find separate ingredients that are just really cool. Find a way that they can merge together. Toxic by Britney Spears is another great example of that where you've got, you know, like this upbeat European programmed synthy sort of synthetic feel mixed with Bollywood mm. soundtracks. Put those two worlds together and get Kathy Dennis to write a top line over that. And then all of a sudden you get this huge Britney Spears song in a flavor that the world has never heard before. So 
that song to me, the Public Enemy and Anthrax track, is the beginning of my journey with with creating hybrid productions. You know, uh, just different ingredients coming together, and boy, oh boy, does it ever work! And the energy, you can't argue with it. I used to play that song for my older boys when they were uh, going to baseball games for their own baseball games. We would crank this song five minutes before we were at the field. Nice. And they would just be ready to, to kick some major ass by the time they got there. Oh, for sure. <laughs> yeah. This, I remember just blasting this song when I was, I think it was in grade 13. Yeah. Yeah. It was tremendous. Fantastic. I loved it. Fantastic. Great insights too, though, because that, that's a great point. And, and you see that a lot today. I can't remember the name of the, it's something like old town road or whatever it was. Yeah. Country and hip hop coming right, together. Exactly. Yeah. So you're seeing it was a lot the number one song three years ago. Yeah. Blasted everything out of the water. Right. So, you know, you're absolutely right. It's true. Even Nirvana smells like Teen Spirit. The right. drums from that are straight disco, disco drums. Right. See, isn't that a funny thing? Yeah. I was just talking to, to somebody about this. Dave Grohl, who is the drummer? Do you remember? The story goes that that drummer was at Dave Grohl's house for a barbecue. And, you know, this is massive parties where there's hundreds of people. But he went up to the guy and said, I just want you to know that I've been ripping off your, your disco drum playing my entire career. I've, you know, and, and the dude said, I know. And he said, really? And he goes, yeah. Like the, the intro drums in, in Smells Like Teen Spirit. That's all disco beats. Yep. Unless you really kind of pay attention to that, it might just pass you by. Oh, you yeah. Know? Yeah. Oh, so uh, most of my favorite songs are usually hybrid styles. I love, there's an Eddie Vedder song with Nusrat Fatah Ali Khan mm. uh, from the soundtrack to Dead Man Walking. It's incredible. It's Eddie Vedder from Pearl Jam singing over tablas and, and sitars and harmoniums and, and phew, bring wow. it on, bring it on. Peter Gabriel, his real world label, all of that, all the Michael Brooks stuff that, that he would bring in, you know, different people yeah. or even just in your eyes, Peter Gabriel bringing in, um, uh, Yusin Adur to sing all the backing vocals, just adding those extra flavors. Just it's the way to go for yeah. sure. Always the world's a big place. There's a lot of music out there. Learn it all if you can. Be exposed to all different styles of music if you can, and uh, try to incorporate it all. Yeah, if you can. Rob, I am so happy that you came over today. Likewise, I, man. This has been great. Tremendous stories, amazing insights. This has been a fantastic. See, I told you, I said we, I, we're going to have a really great chat. Yeah, I knew we would. Oh, I knew it too, man. I knew it. Yeah, you're you're great to hang with, man. And I Thank so you. appreciate everything you're doing. And it's a absolute thrill to spend some time with you and, and be a part of this podcast. It's a great podcast. I hope it uh, Thank you. just keeps going on forever and ever and ever because it's something I love to listen to. Thank you very much. That means a lot. I appreciate it. Pleasure. And thank you for being here. My well, pleasure. Thank you for having me. Well, you'll be back very soon. Okay. Looking forward. This <laughs> <laughs> right. so has been No Sleep Till Sunday with Brent Jensen and my very special guest, Mr. Rob Wells. Till next time, folks. Take good care. Brent Jensen is the best-selling author of No Sleep Till Sudbury, Leftover People, and All My Favorite People Are Broken. All titles available in stores and on Amazon Worldwide. <laughs>